Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Uh, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. We've ministered from this parable before, but believe it bears repeating, amen, and um, see what the Lord wants to teach us from it today. It says this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Treasure hidden in a field. So we have an object and we have a location. We have an object, the treasure, and the location, it's hidden in a field, which a man found and what? Hid again. He found the treasure, which was hidden in a field, and he turns around and he puts it right back in the location that he found it until what? It says uh, that after he hid it, for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is a parable where uh, amongst many other parables uh, in this chapter uh, and throughout Jesus' ministry, a lot of times when he ministered, he spoke in parables. You know, I, I heard someone say one time they believe that if Jesus walked in our day and age uh, uh, and Jesus lived in our current culture, uh, you know, many people would think, oh, he'd be a pastor. He'd have a ministry. He'd be an evangelist or, you know, traveling and ministry. But one person brought out an interesting point, an interesting thought. Uh, no, he, he thinks that Jesus would have been a filmmaker and that parables were films of that day and age. I'll be honest with you. Jesus isn't as religious as you are. In fact, if Jesus came to church today, we would have to teach him how to do church. We'd have to teach Jesus what a greeter ministry is. And we'd have to teach Jesus what children's ministry is all about. And, and we would have to fill him in on what a worship team does because to Jesus, everybody's a worshiper. You don't just have a worship team. Everybody's a worshiper. So we, we relegate these guys up here on the stage as the worshipers, and we're just the ones being entertained or, you know, we're just watching what they're doing, uh, you know, and waiting for them to get done so that the pastor can preach the word. And, 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 and to Jesus, you know, the children, what, they weren't in separate rooms. He said, don't keep the children from coming to me. We're all responsible for, for investing and influencing the lives of the children that are, are in our house and in our church. Amen? We're all greeters and, and welcomers and, and, and uh, hosts in this house to welcome people into the house of God. We all carry that responsibility. So Jesus, you know, he, he's not as churchy as we think. He, he's, there's a lot of things that are man-made that we've derived and we've built up that, that, 
you know, not that it's bad, but that Jesus, when he was on the earth, you know, he wasn't thinking as religiously as a lot of church people. He wasn't thinking, he was thinking kingdom and he was thinking influence. And so when he's telling these parables, he's trying to clue us in on his culture, his way of doing things, his kingdom. And you see many times where he would compare the kingdom of God is like this and the kingdom of God is like that. Why? What's he trying to do? He's trying to give you a visual. He's trying to give you a sense of feel. He's trying to give you an idea of how his kingdom operates. Why? Because he knows that he's been sent to restore the kingdom of heaven to the earth. The kingdom's not supposed to stay up there. And we're not here. You know, Jesus didn't preach, you know, escape plans. How do you get out of the earth? In fact, he prayed in John chapter 17 to his father. And he said, I pray that you don't take them out of the earth, but that you keep them from the evil one. He he literally prayed that in John chapter 17. I'm not making that up. Literally prayed. Not that we would be removed from the earth, but that we would change the earth. Amen. We would influence the earth, impact the earth, the people you come into contact with, the world that you live in, the sectors of society that we engage in on an everyday basis. And you may not engage with all sectors, but you engage in a sector, at least one, if not multiple. And so God has got us here. We are here. Jesus understood, I'm here for influence. There's a kingdom that you have to understand because the thing is, is if you don't understand where you came from, you'll become what's around you. If you don't understand the kingdom that you belong to, then you'll become the world that is around you. So rather than changing the world, you become changed by the world. Amen. So we want to be people that influence the culture around us, not become it. And so Jesus was influencing culture. So he's introducing this kingdom. He says the kingdom of heaven uh, is, is like a treasure hidden in a field. And that's typically how, how treasure is. You know that the, the, the value of something a lot of times isn't determined by the thing itself, but many times by the location of the thing. The value isn't determined by just the object. In this instance, it's treasure, not treasure because it's laid out where just anybody can get it. It's treasure because it's hidden it's in a place where you have to go search for it. It's in a place where you've got to do some work to get to it. It's hidden in a field. And so now we've got this, this issue of the treasure. The treasure that is hidden. The treasure that's not easily seen. The treasure that's not easily accessible. Like, you know, you don't leave your most valuable things just laying around anywhere. Or you shouldn't. In fact, Jesus instructed that. You know, uh, he said, you know, do not cast your pearls before swine. What's that mean? That means that there's something that's valuable. But if you take something valuable and place it in, uh, within the possession of someone that does not value it at the level that it ought to be valued, it will become invaluable. It will lose its value. 
You know, there's, there's things that I value that others don't value. There's values that you have that may not, that I may not share the same value for. And so we have to recognize that the treasure isn't just treasure. It's not just valuable because it's treasure. If this treasure were just laying out on the street, if the treasure was just, you know, easily accessible where anybody could get to it, then would it still have the same value? But the fact that it's placed in a in a location that's not easily accessible, there's something that determines the value. He says, which a man found and hid. Now, what determines the value? What you're willing to pay for it. What determines the value? What you're willing to pay for it. So there's things that I value that you may not have the same value that I would pay a particular price for but you may not pay the particular price. You may not share the same value, therefore you won't. See, value is always determined by exchange. Value is always determined by exchange. I remember when I was a kid uh, and and probably as, as many other young boys did as a seven, eight, nine, 10, I don't know, maybe up until about high school, I loved trading cards, particularly baseball cards. Do I have any baseball card collectors or that? You know, I remember my, my dad told me this story. He had a Mickey Mantle rookie card. And apparently back in the day, the cool thing to do was to take trading cards and put them in the spokes of your bicycle wheels. That anybody know about that? There's a couple of you. And when my dad tells me that story, I'm thinking, you are an idiot. (laughs) Do you know who Mickey Mantle is? But at the time, you know, in in the 60s, you know, might not been that big of a deal. Which, I mean, in 61, he's, you know, over there with the home run chase with Roger Maris. You know, but 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 for whatever reason, he decided to take that particular baseball card, which who knows what the value or the worth of it is today, or, you know, even when I was a young kid. But, you know, I remember I had this notebook full of, of trading cards. And uh, sometimes we would take them to school and I would trade cards with some of my friends. But I set the value. I determined what it was worth to me by what I was willing to exchange it for. Values always determine if there is no exchange, there is no value. I mean, you know, if I've got a Michael Jordan card, which Camden now is getting into to trading cards uh, and, and just got some notebooks and he was showing me his notebook and I don't know where mine is, it's somewhere at the house. I've got, you know, pages and pages and, and I think I've got some pretty valuable cards. But some of them I exchanged and, you know, some of them I could con the other kid out of because he didn't really know what he had. <laughs> he didn't know who Michael Jordan was. And so I'd trade him a, a Scotty Pippen and a uh, 
let's see who, uh, Tim Hardaway maybe. I'd trade him a Patrick Ewing for a Michael Jordan. Not even, not even close, not even in the same category. And, I, I, and, and you know, con them out. Why? Because if you don't know the value of what you have, you can get conned out of the value of what someone else has. Hello, you got to know your value because you'll end up giving up something that is actually valuable and exchange it for something that doesn't carry the same value. Come on, people do this in the world all the time. They don't know what they have. They don't know how valuable it is. And so they compromise their worth and their value by trading for something that's not as valuable as what they are getting rid of. What are you getting in return? And is it as valuable as what you're getting back? You've got to know the value. This individual, he found the treasure and apparently he found it to be of great worth and of great value. How do I know that? Because watch this. It says, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has. So we're not, we're not talking about a, a, a poor guy. We're not talking about, you know, some guy on the bottom of the rung uh, that, you know, is just going through life and doesn't have anything and doesn't have, you know, we're probably talking about a guy that would, may have already had some level of wealth to him, that he was able to sell all that he had to go and buy this treasure. I mean, you got to have something to exchange to get the other thing in return. So this guy, he determines that the value of what he is getting is worth all that he has. The value of what he's getting in return is worth all that he has. But this is interesting to me. It says that he does not just go and buy the treasure. You see what it says there? He sells all that he has and buys the what? The field. And this is the problem with our world today is we want the treasure without the field. We want the shiny stuff, the glam, the glitz. We want the, the, the good stuff. But we don't want the negative stuff. The, the field is dirty. The field is work. You know what it takes to maintain a field? You know, a treasure has value all on its own. A treasure will keep its value. A treasure, you know, there's not much that you're gonna have to do to maintain the treasure. But now the field, on the other hand, the field comes with a lot of maintenance. The field comes with a lot of work. The field comes with a lot of stuff that maybe you don't want. And we live in a world that we want the treasure without the field. We want the good without the bad. We want the, the stuff that maintains itself without investing in the stuff that you have to take care of. That's the world that we live in. That's the culture. That, that's what culture has come down to is I want the treasure, but I don't want the field. And he says, no, no, no. If I want, if I'm the value of, of the treasure. See, the dirt, this is the thing about dirt. The dirt can limit the value, but the dirt actually also adds value. If you keep the treasure in the dirt, then no one will ever receive the treasure. And there's too many of us that we allow our dirt to keep us from ever accessing the treasure. Are you hearing me? 
we have all this dirt piled on top of the treasure. But let me tell you something. When you get around somebody that's willing to dig past the dirt to get to your treasure, now you have, but, but, but here's the thing. We give away treasure and we don't, we don't make people have to receive or accept the dirt. And so there's no value. We're giving away all the good stuff, but see, this is what happens in marriage. You ever notice that things look good far off, but then you get up close and it's like, oh, whoa, wait a minute. Now, I'm not talking about your spouse, so don't be looking at each other. Maybe that job looked good afar off when it was posted on the internet, but then you actually got into it and you recognize, wow, this is going to take a lot more work. Or maybe it was a marriage. See, this is why there is marriage counseling. Is because we are going to help you see the dirt. Because we know you're just dating and courting and doing all that kind of stuff. And, and, and you're just thinking about all the good stuff. You're just thinking about all the treasure. And so marriage counseling helps couples learn how to cope with the dirt how to deal with the dirt. Because guess what? You're gonna wake up, you're gonna come off of that honeymoon and dirt's gonna start to show up. Dirt's, you're gonna find out how long it takes them to get ready. And you're gonna find out that they leave the toothpaste cap off and that the toilet paper roll goes the opposite direction than what you like. You find out that they're not as clean uh, that they dress everything up for you for the date. But if you wanna get in on their real day-to-day life, they're not the same person that they have tempers and they have issues and they have challenges and they have pains and they have hurts and you have to learn to deal with the dirt while you receive the treasure. And when we forego that, I mean, we have divorce rates in this country and they're just as high in the church as they are in the world. Why? Because they didn't realize there was dirt. They're thinking about the treasure, but they weren't thinking about the dirt. You started that business. You were thinking about the treasure. I heard someone this past week that said 80% of businesses that are started in the United States start because the business owner has a need and he's not trying to meet a customer's need. He said businesses that start where the owner has a need. I need money. I need to make this. I need to do this. I need to make a, those, they they, they fail 80% of the time. But when you start a business to meet a need for a customer, to meet a need around you, now you're in something that's gonna grow and it's gonna be successful. Not easy, because it has dirt. And so we get into these things in life because we see the treasure. There's pros and cons. And you have to learn to recognize that if you really want to determine the value for something, it's, it's, he sells all that he has. What's he saying? I'm willing to sell out to buy in. He's saying, I'm willing to sell out to buy in. And this is really the thing with the kingdom of God is what you get in return is really all determined by what you're willing to put in. 
And again, this becomes a hard message to preach in 2019. It's even harder to preach it in 2019 than it was in 2018, in 2017, in 2000, and in 1970, and in 1950, and in the 1800s, and then, you know, go on back to when Jesus actually ministered this message. Why? Because investment becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And as a culture, the digression of humanity is that we want maximum results with minimal effort. We want to put in as little as possible. And look, we live in a world that has allowed us to do so. You can get places faster than you ever could. You can say things, tweet things, post things without any level of investment whatsoever. And you can microwave it, but you think that you're going to get something that's going to taste the same as if it were put in an oven. And there are just some things in life. There are just some things in life that are going to take work. There are just some things in life that are just going to demand investment. There are just some things in life that the closer you get, you find out, man, the, the deeper you get in, there's more work involved. There, there, there is more than I, uh, you know, intended. This thing's actually going to take a little longer than I was initially expecting. There, there are, there, this is actually going to demand more of me. Have you ever gotten into something and realized it's going to demand more of your time than you thought it was going to? And it's like, what have I gotten myself into? You ever taken on an obligation or a responsibility and then halfway through you realize, I can't do this at all. That's why Jesus says, you know, before you, you, you go to battle, you got to determine what it's going to demand from you. Before you build a house, you got to what? Count the cost. When do you count the cost? Halfway in? No. You count the cost up front. Before you get in, what am I signing on to? What am I putting my hand to? What is it going to demand of me? What is this going to require of me? Am I really willing to make that investment? That's why, that, again, going back to marriage, going back to business, going back to, to, to having children. Whatever it is in life that you take a step into, you have to recognize there's a treasure, but there's a field. And in the kingdom of God, you do not get the treasure without the field. You don't buy in until you sell out. God's not asking for 50% of you. God's not even asking for 99.9999999% of you. He's at, there's no rounding up in the kingdom. It's 100% or none. That's the kingdom's investment plan. You're either all in or you're all out. He said, I want all of you. I want your spirit, your soul, your body, your strength, your mind, your emotions, your agendas, your ideas, your plans, your wills, your ways. I want all of it. And if you can't give me all of it, I don't want none of it. I think I said a couple weeks ago, I heard someone say one time, they said, if God has to beg you to do something, does he really want it anyways? If God has to beg you to pray, beg you to read your Bible, beg you to worship him, beg you to lift your hands, beg you to tithe, beg you, beg you to get, does he really even want it? I mean, if you have to beg someone to do something for you, do you really want it? No. But we can't put God in that situation. Okay, God. 
God doesn't want us to finally get around to him. God wants us to put him first place. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's a matter of priority. Value is determined by your priorities. Value is determined by what you put first. Value is determined by what takes first place in your life. That's your values. And you know, sometimes our values, you know, what we say we value doesn't really align with what we actually value. The, 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 the reflection of our lives is what really determines our value. Not our words. And so we see here that there's a treasure and there's a field. And the treasure, the value of the treasure, although it can be limited, you could put it this way. The effectiveness of the treasure is limited by the field. If you keep your treasure buried, it's not gonna give you a return at all. But the dirt, the field, it adds the value. The more I'm willing to dig, the deeper I'm willing to go, the further I'm willing to get into this thing reveals all the more. The the more that it costs me is the more value that I have in it. So when you say things like, man, this is really costing me, it's costing me my time. It's costing me my energy. It's costing me this. It's costing me that. You're, 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 you're simply recognizing the value that you have for it. That's what value does. Value will cost you. There is no value without exchange. Look at 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Try to give some imagery to this. Try to give you some application. The word isn't just for instruction, but it's also for application, amen? We're talking about the potential of a thing. The potential of the treasure is limited as long as it remains buried. That treasure doesn't produce anything for me. The treasure doesn't, doesn't add value to my life if it remains buried. But the second that I dig it out, the second that I pull it out, now the potential of the treasure to impact my life becomes that much greater. But are you willing to do the work? Are you willing to dig it out? Are you willing to give up something? He said that I have, the, the man has sold all that he has. You know, I think of another instance where Jesus was speaking with a rich young ruler and he asked him what? The rich young ruler said, how can I be a part of your kingdom? How can I be a part of your mission? Jesus said what? Obedience. You know, obedience is sacrifice. Obedience is sacrifice. The Lord told King Saul one time, you know, he said, Obedience is greater than sacrifice, but obedience is the sacrifice that the Lord is looking for. Sacrifice of what? Well, sometimes we're sacrificing time, but we're not obeying. Sometimes we're sacrificing finance, but we're not in obedience. 
Sometimes we're sacrificing things with our hands, but we're not in obedience with our heart. And we wonder why we're not getting the return that we think we're gonna get is because ultimately what God is looking for is obedience. He's looking for uprightness. He's looking for holiness. He's looking for righteousness. He's looking for a heart that is truly seeking after him. He's looking for a, 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 a mind and a soul and an individual that will truly obey and follow after the what the Lord is showing you and revealing to you. We want the blessing of God without the instruction of God. We want God to bless our stuff, but we don't want to do his stuff. And obedience is the number one way. And this is, this is interesting. Obedience has always been a demand of God in every dispensation of time. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter two. In a perfect world, no sin. Man is upright, holy. But what was the one demand that God had from Adam and Eve? Obey. Obedience. I'm telling you what, God is never gonna change his demand for obedience. And let me tell you something. After Jesus returns and he does restore the kingdom in totality on this earth, on this planet, when we receive a new heaven and a new earth, yeah, you know that comes out of heaven, right? New Jerusalem settles down on the earth. And when you're living in that, guess what he's still gonna demand? Obedience. Absolutely. He'll never change. He will never change. He never has and he never will. He's continued to demand obedience since the the very first man and woman that ever walked the face of this planet. Obey my command. Keep my decrees. Keep my word. Place them on your heart. Keep them in front of your eyes. Meditate on them day and night. Why? Because the more that I meditate on it, the more that I keep it in front of me, the better chance I have of following in accordance with what the word says. You know why many people disobey the word? Because they forget the word. They forget it. They don't keep it in front of them. They're not meditating on it day and night. It's not active and practiced in their life because it's not actively pursued in their life. You don't pursue what you don't practice. I'm not gonna pursue a word. If I'm not gonna pursue it, I'm never gonna practice it. If I'm not gonna make, if I'm not gonna be hungry for this thing, If I'm not gonna have a desire for God's word and for God's heart and to live according to his word, you better believe I'm gonna have a struggle. I'm gonna have a real hard time honoring God's word in my life and keeping it first place. Man, it's quiet in here this morning. First Kings chapter 17. Verse one, and Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here, turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. So God has given an instruction to Elijah here and he's telling him where to go. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook 
and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. That sounds like a pretty good setup. In the midst of a famine, in the midst of no rain, in the midst of no water, in the midst of things beginning to die, God has him set up next to a brook that's gonna continue to run with water and birds are gonna feed him dinner. That's a pretty good setup. There's very little investment that Elijah has to make at this point, except in merely obeying the command to go where God tells him to go and trusting that every day the birds are gonna come. And I'll tell you right now, especially on those first few days, you're thinking, birds really? Birds really gonna come? And they come, maybe on the first day. Okay, they worked out the first time. Maybe that was just a coincidence. Maybe these birds were just lost and they just happened to have food with them or something. You know. And then, but then you get to a place where trusting God in a miracle, what, what was once a hard to believe miracle, now it's kind of easy. It demands less investment. You kind of begin to be in a place where you expect the miracle to happen. You expect God to continue to work as he has. You expect things continue to flow as they have. It's an expectation. And guess you want to keep your expectation up. But faith is, is never meant to be easy. Faith isn't something that we just walk out. Oh, I've got faith in God. I've got faith he's going to do it. Maybe on the outside, but on the inside, there's a strain. I'll tell you what should challenge of faith really looks like. There will be challenges of your faith that you will face in your life that will make Egypt look better than the promised land. In fact, if you don't ever have a desire to go back to the way it was, if you don't ever have a desire, man, it was easier back here. It was better when I was only making this much money. I was better off when I was. If you don't ever have those thoughts, you might be in question if you've ever really been in a faith battle or a faith challenge. When those Israelites got, I mean, think about this, man. They're in the wilderness. God's producing and performing all these miracles. It's easy, man. Water's coming out of a rock. Manna's on the ground. God's fighting their battles for them. All they gotta do is just lift up, uh, keep Moses' arms lifted and they win the battle. If they fall, they lose the battle. I mean, very easy stuff. And yet still, still, Egypt was more desirous than the promise. Egypt would have been better than where they were currently at. That's when you know you're in a faith fight. When you feel like giving up, you feel like giving in, you feel like going back, you feel like shutting it down, that's when your faith is being tested. But it's what you endure and go through that will prepare you for where God's trying to get you. So stay faithful. Amen? And so... He's got a pretty good little setup here. Verse three, he went and did according to the word of the Lord. You recognize the blessing was in the obedience. If he doesn't go to the brook Cherith, you think that he's gonna end up at a, another river? What if he says, well, you know what? This river, this water, uh, you know, it's got better. It's, it's got better. That, that's the Sani River over there. This is the Fiji. Okay. Not trying to give you any flashbacks. No, he had to go where the Lord told him to go. The blessing 
is in the obedience. He went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread in the meat in the bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while. Just when you begin to trust God, just when it becomes easy to follow him, the investment level was there, but now it's gone down a little bit. The brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Look at verse eight. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, arise, go to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. That's all the instruction he gets. He doesn't get the picture, he gets the promise. He doesn't get the whole process. He doesn't get the whole story. He says, there's a widow woman in Zarephath and I have command, I have told her, I have already had a conversation with her and I've told her, you will provide for the prophet when he shows up. Now, again, that's treasure, man. That's the easy stuff. Okay, this thing's drying up over here. Now God's directing me to go over here. I obeyed him last time and it worked out. I'm gonna obey him this time it's gonna work out. And so he doesn't know the situation he's about to walk into. He doesn't know where he's about to end up. But he says in verse 10, so he arose and went to Zarephath. What? Obedience. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. Up until this point, he is seeing just as God has said, there'll be a widow woman there in Zarephath and she will provide food for you. Well, there's the widow woman. She's in Zarephath. This thing's working out according to plan so far. So he calls to her, bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Why? Because God said she would provide for him, right? He's just obeying. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And at that point, if I'm Elijah... Sorry to bother you. You must not be the widow I'm supposed to be looking for. Have a nice day. Because the last thing I want is local evangelist steals widow woman's last meal from her and her son before they die. This is where you have to learn to trust God. This is where you have to learn that he gave you an end result, but will you trust him with the process? You see the treasure, but now you recognize, oh, there's a field. I was just here for the treasure. But now I find there's some dirt here. And the treasure is buried underneath all this dirt. The potential is there. But am I really willing to work? Come on. 
The promise you're believing for is in the level of investment through obedience that you're willing to put in. Because at this point, Elijah has to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just took me from a scenario where there was water automatically produced. Birds were brought to me. I didn't have to engage with a soul. I didn't have to talk to anybody. This was easy. God, you were doing all the work and all I had to do was trust you. But now you want me to engage with this widow woman that's literally about to die. She is suffering from the result of the famine you have brought to this earth. The last person she wants to see is a prophet of God. This is not working out according to the plan I had in my head. I wanted the treasure. What are you doing giving me all this field? But the value of the treasure is in the working of the field. Thank God he didn't run down to the next widow woman. But Elijah said to her, what's her first three words? Do not fear. Look, here's the thing. It's one thing to trust God for yourself. But can we have a level of investment through obedience in the word of God that we could even encourage others around us to stand in faith with us? I mean, it's one thing for Elijah to say on the inside, Okay, God, I'm gonna trust you. But now he has to engage. His faith has to lock in. He's gotta get her to lock in with his faith because she doesn't have the faith. Her faith is what? My faith is we're gonna eat the last meal that we have and we're gonna die. That's her faith level. That's her level of investment. The very low level of investment. She's trusting in the fact that she's gonna eat the last of of meal that she has for her and her son, and they're both gonna die. That's a very bleak outlook on life. And now this prophet shows up and he has to encourage not only himself now, that's one thing to have faith for yourself and to put yourself out on the limb. But are you willing to drag other people out onto waters that you believe are gonna hold you up? It's one thing to step out of the boat for yourself, but can you take someone else out there and say, come on out with me. Our obedience to the word of God, trust me. I just came from a place where he provided water from a brook and it maintained and it was sufficient for me. And then he even brought birds to bring me food, but now he's directed me here and he's brought me in connection with you. And just trust me, my faith is that God's gonna come through just like he did before. I know that he'll do it again. Can you have that kind of faith that'll encourage others to step out with you. That's another level of investment. That's another level of believing. That's another level of obeying. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. Now, the test of her obedience, the test of her ability to believe at this point is that she would feed the prophet first and then herself. She just got done saying she only had enough for two people, her and her son. 
So there's not enough to feed the three of them. There's not enough, I'll feed you, and then we'll take of what's left over, and then we'll all die together. It's, if I feed you, I don't get any. First, first shows priority. First shows value. First says, I'm willing to invest, watch, all that I have. I've been in scenarios where God has asked for all that I had, all the energy I had, all the finance I had, all the time that I had, all the resource that I had, all that I could conjure up, all that I could put in place. And I'm thinking, but God, if I give it all to you, I'll have none for me. God, this is all that I have. And he's responded every time and said, all that you have is all that I'm asking for. He'll never ask you for what you don't have. That's all that I have. That's all I ask for. See, it's not until you give God all that you are really in a position of trusting him. Anything that you hold back for yourself, you're saying that I believe that there's a percent chance that giving you this portion won't work. So I have to keep back this portion just in case this doesn't work. But that's not the level of investment he's calling us to. I told you earlier that God is an all or none God. All obedience, not some obedience, not halfway obedience, all obedience to him. So verse 14, for thus says says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil runs dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. And look at the following passage. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household. Now we have a group of people introduced that weren't introduced in the beginning. That when we obeyed, when it was just she and he, and now we're seeing a household being introduced. I wonder what can be blessed as a result of your obedience. I wonder of what you think God's going to limit it just to you or just to me and this person or just to us, that now God can expand that, open it up to entire groups of people that weren't even included in the initial trust and faith that you put out. What happens when we invest in the treasure by buying the whole field? This is what happens. It says, uh, the bit of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry. According to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. This is interesting, that when I honor God's word, he honors his word. 
when I honor his word in obedience, guess what? Guess what? God has to follow through with his word just as he spoke, just like he's asking you to follow through with his word that he spoke. God isn't asking anything of you that he's not putting on himself to follow through as well. If he's giving you instruction, guess what? He's putting himself out there saying, I will do this part when you do your part. What kind of God would he be if you did your part and he didn't do his part? What kind of God would he be if you put yourself out there, put all your trust, sold all that you had, made the exchange, placed value, not just in the treasure, but in the field as well. And then when you go to buy it and you show up with everything that you've brought to the table, he says, I'm not gonna give you as much as I told you I would initially. No, 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 he's gonna show up and usually you'll find out he will give you more than even what you thought you were getting in the beginning. God is an exceedingly abundant God. And if you don't believe that, and if you haven't seen him work that, then it's somewhere on your end that we have failed to put the forth the promise and the trust in God according to his word. God is not a liar. God does not fail. God does not quit. God doesn't come up short. Never has never will. But where he demands obedience, where he demands trust, where he demands 100% or zero, you give him 100 and he will come back and he will do exactly as he told you he would. That's how my God works. So it's on the investor's side, not the one bringing forth the investment. Did you sell all that you had? Worship team, if you'd come up. Time for application. Time for internal processing. Time for looking at the word of God for what it is and not trying to come up with excuses why it didn't work. Not coming up with excuses why God didn't show up, why God didn't do this, why God didn't do that. It's time to look inward and say, God, did I really honor your word as you spoke it to me? Did I really lay down everything that you are asking of me? Did I really invest everything that I had? Did I live righteously before you? Did I uphold your word in trusting and believing and standing in faith according to what you said you would do? It's not until then, not until then. Look, there's people that tried to withhold, that tried to dictate what was good enough, that tried to determine how much was enough. How much faith was enough? How much finance was enough? How much trust was enough? You know, there was a, a, a couple in the book of Acts, Acts chapter five, it's in the Bible. The story's really there. I'm not making it up. Ananias and Sapphira. They had lands. They told the elders of the church, we're gonna bring this much. We're gonna do this much. But then, when they saw how much it really was, they had a conversation with themselves and said, you know what? 
we're not going to do that much. We're going to keep some back for ourselves. And right there in that moment when they brought it before and tried to bring it forth as, you know, to impress the elders of the church. In fact, they didn't even tell the elders of the church how much they were going to give. They had said in their own heart, this is what we're going to do, but then changed their minds, came to the elders of the church. They died right there in the middle of church. Now, I'm not telling that to scare you. I'm not planning on having any funerals today. I'm telling you that because God takes this seriously. Investment is serious to God. It's not a joke. It's not funny business to Him. It's not, ah, you know, I'll give Him this much. I'll do, I'll, I'll, I'll come in, I'll meet you halfway. No, no, no. God says, the only way you meet me halfway is if you come all the way. All the way is halfway to God. Because then He will do the part that only He can do. So what are you investing today? What are you laying down? What are you willing to sell out to so that you can buy in to his blessing, to his promise, to his way of doing things in your life? I can tell you right now, I've come across plenty of discouraged people. I've come across plenty of people. We've had discouragement, challenges in our lives. And the first place we have to look is inward and say, God, where do we miss it? Not in a condemning way. But I want to make sure next time I invest at the right level. I want to make sure next time that I put forth everything I have and everything I can towards the promise of God because I know that He's faithful to perform it. He's faithful to come through. He's faithful to do His part. But I cannot come up short on my end and ask God why He didn't come all the way through on His. You hearing me today? We've got to invest. We've got to come in all the way. We've got to sell out to buy in. Sell out to your plans. Sell out. I'm telling you right now, nothing that you could hold on to is greater than what God can get to you. There's nothing in your life that you have right now that is of more worth and more value than what is in that field. And maybe you don't see the value because it's in a field. Maybe you don't see the value because right now it's covered up with dirt. Or maybe you've gotten close enough to see the treasure, but you see all the work that's involved too. And you said, you know what? I'll pass. What I have, what I have already is worth more than the work it's going to take to get that. You might be looking at your marriage today and say, you know what? There's treasure, but there's a lot of dirt. And you may walk away and say, you know what? What I have, I'm willing to live with. But that man had to make a decision that day that the exchange was necessary. That if I really want to see that result, if I really want to see that promise, if I really want to see that treasure produce in my life, I'm going to have to make an exchange. 
I'm going to have to let go of my stuff, my ideas, my way of thinking, my culture, my agendas. And I've got to be willing to put in work so that I can get to the treasure. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaith.austin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.